This is the Nutanix Community Podcast with Angelo Luciani, episode 39. Here we go. Thanks for joining me on episode 39 on the Nutanix Community Podcast. We are continuing our series on highlighting our .next keynote speakers, and I trust you are enjoying the series. This week we hear from Mark Leslie, who gives an inspiring talk on the arc of life, how companies go on to disrupt themselves. Mark Leslie is the founder and former CEO of Veritas Software, lecturer in management at Stanford School of Business, and Managing General Partner at Leslie Ventures. This talk is filled with gems, so let's jump to it. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Mark needs uh, no introduction, but uh, I'm sure we can talk about Mark uh, being the co-founder and CEO of Veritas, which... uh, has its arc of its own life now, looks like, as a separate company. <laughs> and uh, you're also one of the first board members at VMware as well. Yes. And uh, from what legend might have it, there was also uh, some talk of Veritas acquiring VMware in the very early days. Yes, there was. Wow. So, you know, Mark was going to talk about the arc of life, how companies really disrupt themselves and go on and do to second and third and fourth acts. So thanks, Mark, for really doing this. So... Um, I've been in the technology business longer than most of you have been alive. I've been in the technology business for 50 years. I joined the technology business in 1966, joined IBM at that time. Um, And over the years, I kind of observed companies come and go. And as you see companies come and go, sometimes companies endure. Sometimes they stay, they live on. Uh, not just live on, but they live on being relevant. Now, uh, Deeraj mentions that I teach at Stanford, and one of the things that you do when you teach is people ask you questions, and you need to explain things to people, and when you explain things to people, you rephrase it 52 times, and you, know, you keep trying to you know, add something to it, and sometimes out of that falls an idea that you can kind of put into a framework, and that's kind of what we have today. And so this talks, this, this presentation is about how do you build, not how do you build a company, but how do you build a company that sustains, that endures, that stays, that stays over time? So we look at the corporate life cycle. Um, you know, this is, the, this is the good part over here. You have a startup. You have this, you know, typically very high growth stage. You have this early maturation. And then companies move into the dark side, late maturation, decline, and death. And we've all seen companies come and go and die. Um, So one of the variables that matters here is time. Some companies come and go in the blink of an eye, and some companies take 100 years to come and go. But companies tend to come and go. And they come and go, you know, the thing that drives this thing is uh, market forces. Uh, You know, that would be something like uh, Uber and taxis, uh, taxis being disrupted by Uber. Uh, Political climates, uh, things like the tobacco industry was profoundly changed to the political climate in the United States. Uh, Economics, um, the Great Recession of 2007 and the crash of Lehman 
changed the life of a lot of companies, particularly in the financial industry, and popular trends. Uh, one of the trends that we see every day in our life is mobile versus desktop and web. Uh, and we've seen that be a consumer-driven choice that has changed the industry. So all of these things happen, and over time, they affect companies. So um, many companies traverse the arc of life. And let's talk about, first of all, Kodak and Polaroid. Um, there was never a time, uh, there was never a place you could go on this globe that you couldn't find a little kiosk with some little yellow boxes, you know, from Kodak. Kodak uh, figured out um, all the things to do with digital photography before anybody else in the industry. They had all of the patents, they had all the inventions, and they died. And they died a kind of a very ugly death. They couldn't even sell their patent portfolio. And Polaroid was, of course, put out of business by the fact that you know, the one thing they had in life was instantaneousness. And that got also subverted by the digital revolution. Uh, and these companies did not survive. They just basically went over to the dark side and to, and to death. Um, but they're not alone. Um, they've got a lot of company out there. Uh, there's a lot of names that you guys, probably a lot of you guys have worked for these companies, you know, they've come and gone. Uh, and uh, if I had a slide that was 10 times the size, I could fill it up with names, I promise you that. Um, so some companies actually transform, and that's kind of an interesting thing. Some companies actually survive. And I picked Nokia as uh, kind of an interesting case. They began as a paper mill in Finland in 1871. So they're 150 years old. They evolved into a rubber manufacturer. Uh, they evolved into the telecom market. I don't know how you get from paper to rubber to telecom, but whatever. Uh, they entered the mobile, they entered and came to dominate, dominate the mobile phone business. So they had these amazing transformations. Uh, and they built this really, really big and successful company. And uh, after a catastrophic loss in mobile phones, as it changed, to smartphones, uh, they ended up selling the division to Microsoft. Now the interesting question is with their culture, this is a deeply embedded culture of 150 years, a culture of transformation. Uh, will they and can they actually transform and rise again? And so this is a company that I'm gonna go, you know, kind of keep my eye on and see what happens to them. And I'm, I'm hopeful that they'll find a new way to do this. So um, one of the things that's going in, uh, one of the things in, in the world we live in today that Time is compressed. You know, it's kind of like the theory of relativity. The faster you go, it actually compresses time, right? Uh, and the life cycles of these companies are now compressed. The, you know, you could used to be able to build a company and have a 50-year lifespan. That doesn't happen anymore. Uh, very, very rapid technological change. You know, you know all this stuff. Computers, robots, cloud, big data, deep learning, all kinds of things. There's 50 more, you know, items we could put there. Very, very rapid uh, innovation in business models. One of the revolutions that's going on today uh, is that people are taking really, you know, technology has now become very simple to do and applying it to old businesses and disrupting them in new ways. Uber, Airbnb, these are really interesting examples of those things. Um, and I would say that only the paranoid and more importantly, only those who transform uh, will survive. You have to both be paranoid and be willing to actually do something about it. So how do you create a new opportunity? You have this little life cycle in front of you, uh, and you're sitting there and looking at it, and uh, what you have to do, um, my experience personally, is you have to go build a new arc. And building a new arc means that you have to go 
take some risk and you have to do some new things and you have to transform in ways that oftentimes are uncomfortable. Um, there is a sweet spot of optionality. And one of the, when I was developing this idea, an idea like this, you know, I probably spent three years thinking about this. And one of the things that I came away is, is uh, you know, one of, the, one of the most important insights is there actually is a sweet spot. Uh, the sweet spot says uh, that you can look at a point of maximum optionality. And what we mean by maximum optionality, if you look at the point in time when uh, you're least likely to be thinking about it, least likely to do anything about it, is the time when everything is going great. You know, you're growing, you're making money, you're hot. Uh, you know, you look like Nutanix looked this morning, right? We saw all these great uh, partnerships and everything like that. Um, that's the time to actually be thinking about who you're going to be in five, seven, nine, ten years from now. That's the best time to do it. And as you move away from this maximum point of optionality, point of maximum optionality, it gets harder and harder and harder. So when you're a startup, you can only do one thing. Either live or die in that one thing. And as you start to mature as a company, it becomes harder and harder to do it. And once you get to the downside, once you get to the dark side, once you get to the decline and death, there's no resources. There's no money. There's no human resources. There's no reputation. There's no uh, currency to buy other companies. There's nothing. You have no resources. And you're basically laying off people and shutting factories and things like that. Um, so suggest a successful transformation strategy can actually create a new growth strategy. So you not only go do it once, but you do it more than once. And if you make that who you are, if you make that your identity, then you have the opportunity to create a brand new trajectory for your company. Now let's look at some uh, examples. Um, Oracle is a, is a truly, you know, I spent a lot of time like looking at doing the survey and thinking about companies and said, who's, who's a poster child for this? And Oracle is a great example of this a very strategically driven company. So um, it was founded as a software development, as a company called Software Development Laboratories. They spent a lot of time uh, consulting, looking for product market fit. Uh, they ended up in, this, uh, in the 19, early 1980s in the relational database wars between them and about five other companies. Uh, and their strategy was to be on every platform and therefore to go capture the what was called the ISVs at that point in time, people who then built on top of their stuff. And it was a very, very successful strategy. Um, so uh, if you look at their arc, they were in the database business. They were successful. They, they, they vanquished their competition. They became dominant. And then they looked around and said, so now what? We're two from here, right? And they basically decided to get into the client-server ERP applications business. Now, this is an interesting decision they made because the, this is the business that drove their business. They basically declared war on all the people that were pulling them in the market. They declared war on SAP, on, on PeopleSoft, on Siebel. They declared war on all these guys and said, we're going to go do what you do, and we're going to use our own database, even the ones you're using, right? So this was an extraordinarily courageous thing to do. This, is, this, was, this was tremendously risky and tremendously courageous. And they won. Um, they then uh, went and did a hostile takeover of uh, PeopleSoft. Uh, they did a roll-up of the enterprise applications. They really changed the, 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 um, uh, the kind of character of our industry uh, by doing so. Uh, and uh, they, it was the first time there was ever a hostile takeover in Silicon Valley. 
uh, and they kind of rolled up this whole thing. Now, Veritas at the time, excuse me, Oracle at the time they did this, had never actually bought anything. They spent 25 years never buying anything, and then they became, they rolled up the entire industry. Uh, they went on to do an acquisition of Sun Microsystems in the hardware business uh, and became a system, full systems manufacturer. And uh, today they are, of course, uh, you know, driving uh, into the cloud like everybody else. So if you look at Oracle, they really had like at least five transformations. And as a result of that, they are a relevant, important, meaningful company in the world today. Um, little sidebar, Sun Microsystems, I just mentioned them. They were in the workstation business. Uh, they went into the file server business. They went into the dot and the dot com business. Uh, they went into the mainframe replacement business. This is a great company. And then they had an opportunity uh, to transform themselves into a software company. They had the best operating system software in the world. And if they had said, okay, instead of being, you know, you know, flogging our, our hardware, we're going to go out and make our software the best there is, their, their version of Unix, there'd be no Linux today. So they basically missed the opportunity uh, to make another transformation, and they went over the edge. Um, one more, you know, little picture of arcs of life. We look at Amazon, uh, paper books to e-books and readers to uh, all products to merchants um, to uh, other devices, you know, things like uh, Kindle Fires and Echoes, uh, and finally to Amazon Web Services. I mean, an amazing company in terms of the new businesses they've gone into and the things they've done. And of course, my, you know, this comes from my own kind of background. Uh, at Veritas, we were a company that was transformative. Um, and the reason I was able to see this is because I actually lived this. So Veritas was a startup in a different business, and uh, I was on the board of that company and stepped in as CEO of the transformed company, the new company. Went from being a systems manufacturer of fault-tolerant systems to a software uh, uh, systems company uh, in 1989. It was a it was a restart. Uh, we had some you know great years as, in that business. Uh, in 1997, we entered the uh, the backup market for the first time, um, and uh, that was for us a courageous move. We acquired a company of equal size, gave away a third of our shares. We we're a public company. Um, as a little sidebar, our, our uh, Wall Street thought it was a terrible idea, and our stock went down by 65 percent. But uh, after we, we were 36, they were 36 million, we put the two companies together, we shed 20 million, but we finished the year at 120, so we were, we were right on that. We transformed the company again. We, went, we were a pure Unix company, went into the NT market in 1999 through another uh, uh, very, very risky acquisition. Uh, and uh, I left the company at the end of 2001. We were a billion and a half at that point in time. If you look at the, you look at the arc, if you look at the life of Veritas, it was, it's noteworthy that it took us seven years to get to 36 million, and it took us five more years to get to a billion and a half. So it was a really, and that was in, the, in this kind of transformation mode that we were in. And I have two pictures over here, the picture of Veritas on the right, that was our original logo. And then on the lower left, Veritas has reemerged now, and they have a new logo. Uh, and uh, I actually like the new logo better than the old logo, so there you go. So this is all about, uh, it's all about leadership. Uh, what, what makes a company you know, go one way or the other way? It's all about leadership. Uh, and it's about the style of leadership of the CEO. And I think there's two styles. I think there's a style called operationally driven. Um, it's about 
operational excellence, efficiency, consistency, process, being relatively risk adverse, what we call a professional manager. And one of the things about professional managers, they tend to have a short time window. If you go look at many companies that have succession plans, they basically have a CEO, they groom somebody, that person becomes the CEO, and their horizon is five years, seven years, and then there's gonna be someone else to take over after them, maybe 10 years. They don't really think of it the way Larry Ellison thinks of it. Larry Ellison thinks of Oracle as a lifetime venture. He thinks of it as he is Oracle, Oracle is him. And professional managers don't think that way. And so they are what I call operationally driven. Then we have opportunity driven managers, uh, leaders, CEOs, visionaries, driven, creative, uh, willing to take risks, risks that are thoughtful and prudent, entrepreneurial, and they want to build a legacy. They want to see, you know, for better or worse, they want to see their name up in lights. They want to get credit for the creation of something that lives beyond them. And maybe it's narcissistic, but it is part of the drive of these people. So what can we do? How can we have impact in the world? If you're a board of directors, that's typical board of directors over there. You guys know what a board of directors looks like, right? I so see you go walk in the room, that's what they look like, right? Uh, so if you're a board of directors, uh, you want to have a CEO succession that you want to consider the future direction of the company. Is it a company that you want transformation or is it a company that you want consolidation? Now, some companies might be kind of like really messy and you need someone to kind of get order and stuff like that. Uh, if, you want to tra if transformation, you may want to hire from the outside rather than the inside uh, and seek a transformative leader. Uh, you probably want to take some risk there. You want to establish a long-term strategic plan to, to, for transformation, that you, that you make this central to who you are, that we're going to transform the company. Uh, you want to keep your cash. I'm going to get back to this in a second. Uh, and when making bold moves, you want to stay the course. I, I was just listening this morning uh, when uh, Microsoft was up on stage and they make the observation that Microsoft is a, a perfect example of leadership styles. Uh, Bill Gates was an entrepreneur-driven, you know, legacy-driven guy. I would call Steve Ballmer uh, a professional manager. Let's just keep the ball rolling and make one quarter after the next. And there really wasn't much that happened over there. And I think under Satya Nadala, I think this company is resurgent now. I think they are actually doing things that we have not seen before. Uh, and I'm uh, very, very optimistic about their future at this point in time. And I'm glad it wasn't too late. It looked like it was too late, but actually you can make a difference. Now, let me get back to keeping your cash for a second. Uh, we live in a world today with what we call activist investors. And when an activist investor shows up on your doorstep, what they really want to do is either sell the company or take your cash. Um, I'm here to tell you there are no investors out there. There are traders. Every person that calls himself an investor keeps one finger on the, on the sell button. And anytime he decides he doesn't like it, he hits the button and he's gone. So when an activist investor comes in and they want to come in and take your cash, they basically say, okay, you're going to do a share buyback. Uh, the stock's going to go pop a little bit. You're going to get rid of your cash. And when the stock pops, we're going to hit the sell button and leave. And what you've accomplished at that point is you've given away your optionality. 
cash equals optionality. Cash equals the opportunity to do things that you couldn't otherwise do. And you can't give away your cash. So I, I am a very, very negative on this active investor in this whole kind of world that we live in today of short-termism. You're a CEO. You are the steward of the future. You own the future of the company. The investors don't. The investors buy and sell shares, and they hope to make some money on it. But you're the one that has to worry about making a quarter, not this quarter, not next quarter. But I spent uh, you know, many, many years as a public company CEO. And if you don't worry about making a quarter in five years from now, you will not make that quarter. So you are the steward of the future, and you have to worry about that. Now, what can you do as an executive team? Now, you notice the picture of the executive team here. These are the superheroes. Um, uh, establish a five-year quantum leap strategic plan. I'm a big believer in strategic plans. You have a strategic plan, it informs your local decisions. When you have a vision of the future and you know where you're going, every day when you make decisions, you can make them that are a little bit more consistent with that future than without. So you have to kind of have a picture of the future that has meaning to you. Evangelize the vision throughout the company at every opportunity. Uh, you have to get everybody on board. You have to get everybody singing from the same hymnal. Encourage autonomous decision-making and experimentation. Uh, you have to make it high reward and low risk to take risk. So at Veritas, we used to, when we wanted to do something that was risky, we used to pull, pull together a team of engineers and marketing and sales and whatever and say, we're going to go try and do this thing. We don't know how it's going to work out. We're going to ask you guys to step up and do it. We're calling it an experiment. We're going to sit down in a year from now with you guys in the room, and we're going to decide whether the experiment worked or not. And whether it did or it didn't, you will be rewarded for having done this. And that's kind of a mentality about getting people to step up and take risks. And you need to create a culture that wants to conquer the world. You don't want a culture that wants to just do the next thing. You need a culture that says, we want to go build something great. We want to go conquer the world. My last slide over here, I want to leave you with a thought. Uh, there is no finish line. And what I mean by this is that uh, I, 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 uh, uh, I always had this illusion. I, you know, I've, been, uh, I was, I've been in the technology business for 50 years. I was a CEO for 21 years. I've been retired for 16 years. But I always had this idea that there was this place that once we get there, you know, it's kind of going to be easy. You know, everything's going to work out okay. We're going to get all these problems today behind us, you know, and then we're going to get to this place. That, you know, it's going to be green and beautiful, and there's going to be flowers, and we're going to be able to sit back in the hammock, you know. We're going to be able to have a drink, and we're just going to take it easy. I never got there. And what we do is we live in this world where there's always the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And when the problems you have today and the opportunities you have today are behind you, there's new problems and new opportunities. There is no finish line. It is a, you know, and, and, and it's not bad. It's a good thing. I mean, I always found being running, running a company to be uh, relentless but very, very addictive. You know, you really kind of get high on this whole thing. But there's no finish line. So as you think of yourself and your company, there's no there there. You're going to have to go worry about building this company over the long term uh, and, and being able to create value for your employees, for your investors, for yourself, whatever. Uh, so with that, I would like to take the opportunity to say I am greatly appreciative of being here. I have, it's been a privilege to be associated with uh, Nutanix, uh, and uh, thank you very much.
Thanks for listening. You can find show notes on the Nutanix community blog at next.nutanix.com. I encourage you to continue the conversation in one of our community forums. And also join one of our Nutanix user groups in your area. And finally, follow Nutanix on Twitter for latest news and announcements. So with that, as always, from the team here at Nutanix, have a great week. Thank you.